1: What does it look like when a man, woman, boy, or girl is empowered by the Holy Spirit? What does it look like when a man, woman, boy, or girl is empowered by the Holy Spirit? That's an important question to ask. It's a question that is answered by Luke in his gospel, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 4. Look with me in our Father's Word. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Luke presents Jesus as going into the countryside, preaching this particular passage in the synagogue of his hometown, as we're going to see in a moment. He doesn't go into the detail of the gap between his temptation by the devil, which we talked about together last time for two sessions, he doesn't talk about the things that happened between that temptation and this particular instance. He leaves those under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He didn't know this, but God knew it. Those details are left up to Matthew and his gospel and Mark in his gospel. Luke just jumps from the temptation of Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights, to this particular story right here, this particular passage. We know from the other gospel accounts in Matthew chapter 13... Up to that point, Mark chapter 6, since they're at the midway point just about in their Gospels, we know that Jesus has already been engaged in ministry. But Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is jumping, not because he's trying to be chronological. There's nothing wrong with not being chronological. Each of the gospel writers had a specific purpose in mind in how they were bringing out the nuances, the color, the flavor, the theology of the life and ministry teachings of Jesus. And Luke added to Matthew, Mark, and John. His gospel adds to the pieces here. We get this understanding that Luke is trying to present a theology here about Jesus and his life teaching his ministry. And one of the things that he's addressing is answering this question, what would it look like for Jesus to be the almighty, one of a kind, uniquely brought forth, nobody like him, son of God? Turn with me to Luke chapter 1 if you flip back. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 31. You might remember this particular passage when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary before she gave birth to Jesus and said this. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? She understood biology. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. The uniquely brought forth one of a kind is no other like him, Son of God, capital S. That's what's being presented here in Luke chapter 1. And then the rest of Luke's gospel is to show us what does this look like? What's it going to look like? That Jesus is the Almighty Son of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And here, when we get to chapter 4, verse 14, we see that the Holy Spirit's power in Jesus' life is not just a one-time thing, but his entire life is characterized as being a ministry out of the overflow of the Spirit's power. In fact, he was led into the wilderness, not by the the devil. The devil didn't come and get Jesus by the hand and say, come with me. It was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness, And here, in chapter uh, 4, verse 14, Jesus returned from doing ministry in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, the region of which Nazareth was there. Capernaum was there, the area Jesus' stomping grounds. As a child, as a young man, He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and a report about Him went out through all the surrounding country and He taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. One of the rare instances in Scripture where the people during Jesus' day are glorifying Him, recognizing Him and we get the understanding right away that one of the characteristics of a man, woman, boy or girl who is empowered by the Holy Spirit is that they have momentum in their life. There is influence in their life. The world is changing around them. They become like an invincible M1 Abrams army tank for the glory of God, moving into enemy territory, impenetrable. Even the devil himself was unsuccessful at coming after Jesus. Jesus was tempted in every single way and didn't budge, didn't give an inch, didn't give an iota to the the devil, didn't give in at all. He was tempted in every single conceivable possible way what's presented to us in Luke's gospel is that he was he was tempted 3 times that's what's presented but that's the idea of completion It's Only the highlights, the tip of the iceberg. Jesus was tempted in every single way. And it's because He is the Almighty, uniquely brought forth, one of a kind Son of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit that He is invincible and He's on the move and God is expanding His territory of influence. God is moving through Him. And you have to understand that one of the characteristics of a man, woman, boy, or girl who is empowered by the Holy Spirit is that there is increasing momentum in your life to spread and to advance the only kingdom that's going to endure forever. Listen, there are a lot of kingdoms that are being built today. A lot of them. And yours might be one of them. You just got to make sure there's not a lot of space between what you're building and what God wants to build. There's only one kingdom that's going to endure forever. It's the kingdom of the living and true God. And when you are a man, woman, boy, or girl, who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, you will build the only kingdom that's going to endure forever, the kingdom of God. You will have an increasing influence. People will be recognizing that, and you will begin to get the praise of other people. Yes, you will begin to get the praise of other people. This is what's happening in this particular circumstance. People are understanding that news travels fast. Have you not noticed, living in this particular part of Pennsylvania, that good news travels fast? You do not need to pick up the local newspaper, the York Daily Record, to find out what's happening in your area. All you need to do is surf around on the internet, Facebook, go have coffee with one of your friends. Go to one of the popular diners, restaurants in the area that some of you frequent uh, more frequently maybe than you should. I'm not looking any place in particular as I say that. Good news travels fast, it travels fast here in York, Pennsylvania, it travels fast in all parts of Pennsylvania, it travels fast any place you live, whether in the United States or elsewhere, because people talk, and people had been talking about this man who they didn't fully understand yet, who was characterized as being empowered by the Holy Spirit, he was invincible, unstoppable, and news is traveling all around, and that's what should be happening in your life as well. If you are a man woman boy or girl and you are empowered by the holy spirit you will be a person of influence you will be a a force to be reckoned with and if you are not that force to be reckoned with maybe it's you you've waned in your influence maybe you've let up off the gas pedal maybe you are no longer depending upon the spirit of god to be that agent of change that God has called you to be, that he saved you to be, transformed you to be that agent of change, it's an indication that you are operating apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. When you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, there will be spiritual momentum in your life. You will be moving forward. God will be working through you and spreading the aroma of Christ, and people's lives will be changed as a direct consequence and as a byproduct of you and I do mean you being the person who was the force to be reckoned with under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, a number of years ago, a man named Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book, which was, in some sense, a very good book. In other senses, I think it was taken the wrong way than he intended it. It's a short book, small book, called The Prayer of Jabez. Some of you have read that, based on the Old Testament Prayer of Jabez. Now, something happened, giving Bruce Wilkinson the benefit of the doubt. I had met him. I'm not a personal friend of his, but I had met him at a conference. Something had happened. I think he had good intentions. But he took this short prayer of Jabez, wrote it out, and it became a principle for so many people, especially in the United States of America, where it began to be a a, a prayer, where people began to pray it as if it was a mantra, oh God, expand my territory, increase, oh would you bless me. And wouldn't you know, interestingly enough, that in the United States of America, it became about me, myself, myself and I. You know anybody who's building their own kingdom and using the word of God to justify it? That book became licensed. Oh, God, give me money. Give me a nicer car. God's going to give me a better job. He's going to give me a nicer house, increase my influence. Listen, Jabez wasn't all about the kingdom of Jabez. The reason why God blessed him and he prospered is because he was about the kingdom of God. Oh, in the United States of America, we're so good. We're proficient at it. We're so spiritual about it. We use the word of God for carnal intentions. When you are a man, woman, boy, or girl who's interested in, in, in building the kingdom of God and you're moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, you will build God's kingdom, not your own. I don't think that Bruce Wilkinson intended for people to take his book the way so many people took it. It became about material possessions and things in this life and not about the life to come. We only have one time during this life to build the only kingdom that's going to endure forever. It is the kingdom of God. And when you are a man, woman, boy, or girl who is characterized by living a life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, do you know what's going to happen? God is going to use you to build His kingdom. He's looking out through the whole earth, looking for somebody, somewhere, as we're going to see in this particular passage of Scripture, who's going to be hungry for a mighty move of the Spirit of God. Do you know of anybody anywhere who's hungry for a mighty move of the Spirit of God? It is about time in this country that we have a mighty movement of the Spirit of God. It is about time in this country that we have mighty movements of the Spirit of God. And you know what? They are not going to happen until God's people begin to realize we have forgotten and neglected the essential ingredient of the outpouring of the Spirit of God, which is me. I must be surrendered to the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He does not force Himself upon His people. As we're going to see here, He's just putting it out there for all of us. Anybody hungry for the Spirit of God? Anybody hungry for the power of God? If your answer is yes, and you are willing to submit and surrender yourself to God, God is not a respecter of persons. He will pour Himself out upon you, but you must meet his condition, you must be willing to surrender. If you're not willing to surrender, you will not be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's it. It's as simple as that. It's not a Pentecostal or non-Pentecostal issue. Ridiculous arguments we have in the body of Christ. The simplicity of being empowered by the Holy Spirit is that you must be willing to be filled. And in order to be filled, you must be emptied. There's no room for the Holy Spirit in many of our lives because we are embracing and caressing and filling ourselves up with other things. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not force himself upon you, but he does beckon. He does woo and pursue, and he's doing that right now. One of the characteristics of a man, woman, boy, or girl who is empowered by the Holy Spirit is that you will build the kingdom of God. You will have momentum. And you know what happens sometimes? People begin to praise you. People begin to put you up on a pedestal, at least for a season, as we're going to see in the life of Jesus. Be very careful that you do not confuse being empowered by the Holy Spirit with being popular. It's not about popularity, it's about repentance. When you are a man, woman, boy or girl who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, your whole life becomes one of repentance. You say, well that sounds like a downer. No. When you walk in repentance, that's the freest you'll ever live. There are a whole lot of people who are resisting God and who are in bondage all the way. The repentant life is the freest life you'll ever have. Some of you are smiling even as they say that because you know what it's like to be shackled and weighed down because you know what it's like to have resisted God. Others of you are not smiling because you haven't yet crossed over. There's an area or areas of your life where you are shackled. You are in bondage because you are unwilling to surrender to God that one area. And listen, it's not the 99 percentile that's going to help you walk Walk in your next step to the Lord it's that one percent of whatever it is you're holding back from God that's going to derail your fruitfulness God is asking you for all of you and the truth is until God has all of you I don't know that it's safe to say that he has all of you Jesus for a season is popular for a moment, he's popular. Verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is his boyhood home. Comes to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as, and as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. This was the custom that Jesus was preaching and teaching in the synagogue, which helps us understand that in the beginning of his ministry, the priority of his ministry for Jesus was the Jewish people. He didn't overlook the Jewish people. He's preaching and teaching in the synagogue. Now you're not going to find, unless it's an interested Gentile, you're not going to find a Gentile in the synagogue. You're not going to find that. You're going to find Jewish people in the synagogue. So Jesus is demonstrating that Jesus came first and foremost to the lost sheep of Israel, to the Jewish people. He's preaching and he's teaching in the synagogue. That was his custom. And as was the custom, not just for Jesus, but among the Jewish people, he stood up and the scroll was given to him of, from which he was going to read. That was the custom. You would be handed the scroll the attendant would give you the scroll. You would read the scroll. Typically speaking, the passage of Scripture was assigned to you. There would be a reading from the law of Moses, there would be a reading from the prophets. And this comes to the point where Jesus is going to be given the opportunity to read from one of the prophets. Now, we don't know in this particular passage, it's really not relevant, but we don't know whether Jesus chose Isaiah chapter 61 or whether the attendant or the people in the synagogue, the leaders, had chosen Isaiah chapter 61 from which Jesus would read. What we do know is that in the providence of God, Jesus is reading from isaiah chapter 61 and it's incredibly significant that he reads from this particular passage look with me in isaiah chapter 61 i'm going to read directly from isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 because there's something that we want to take note of that is not brought out in luke's gospel and i think it's neglected intentionally because it gives us a context as to the tension that quickly develops between jesus And his homies Isaiah chapter 61 beginning in verse 1 the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who are who mourn now interestingly enough keep that up there if you would Interestingly enough, in Luke chapter 4, when it's quoted here, the second part of verse 2 from Isaiah 61 is not there. Jesus doesn't get into this day of vengeance of God by which the Jewish people understood that there was coming a day where God will kick the booty of all those who oppose his people it's something that God's people were holding on to, we hold on to it today as believers that one day there is a day of reckoning coming where God will come back and defeat his enemies and we long for that day, we look forward to that day when the sky will part Jesus will descend, when the battle of Armageddon is over and Jesus takes care of all God's enemies, this is something that we look forward to. It's taught in Scripture. Here, Jesus references Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, the first part of verse 2, and conveniently leaves out one of the things that they were looking and longing for, the vengeance of God against his enemies. In verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, which, by the way, was the custom. You would stand and read the Scriptures as a rabbi in the synagogue, and then you would sit, and you would provide your commentary. So Luke is giving us some insight as to the cultural, historical reality. There's nothing allegorical, nothing metaphorical here whatsoever. He wants to be taken literal, that this is an historical event that actually happened. That's why it's written this way. He hands the scroll back to the attendant, sits down, and guess what happens? At Tanidzo. That's the word that's used here. They are fixated on Jesus. That's the word that's used here in verse 21, or verse 20. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. At Attenizo. This is the idea of somebody making a prolonged gaze, a prolonged stare. They have, Jesus has them enraptured. He's got them in the palm of his hand. They're looking at him because the question now is, as they're all holding their breath, What will be the commentary? We heard the reading from Isaiah. Thank you very much, Jesus. Thank you for being in this particular patch. Isn't he just such a wonderful person, this Jesus? Because look at this. Look what they say. They began to say to them, uh, Jesus says, verse 21, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is exciting news because look at this, the idea of setting the captives free. Let's go back. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. They were pretty poor in Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Was the common statement that was said. Jesus was from Nazareth. These people were poor. So the question would be, can anything good come from Nazareth? This is good news. Proclaim good news to the poor. Wow, this is awesome. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Well, we're captive to the Roman people. This is awesome. Recovering the sight to the blind. Okay, that sounds pretty good. To set liberty, those who are oppressed, were oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is awesome. Jesus stands up with his commentary. Verse 21, began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. That's our boy Jesus this is our hometown boy, Jesus. He knows how to tell it like it is. We Nazareans, we know what it's like to be oppressed and afflicted. We know that nothing can come, out of, uh, can come out of Nazareth. We know what that whole thing is like. And here is Jesus saying, this day it's fulfilled. Hallelujah, amen, God is good. Only one thing that they seem to have forgotten. The emphasis here is not so much on deliverance only. It's on the deliverer. And if you don't pay attention, you'll miss it too. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to... To proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set set at at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In verse 18, Luke chapter 4, he has anointed me. This idea of the Messiah is that he would be, that's literally what it means, God's anointed Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms I am he I am the Messiah I am God's anointed he sent me here I am so when he says today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing he's saying take a good look at it because your homie is the one today in your presence this scripture is fulfilled I've been out and about healing people teaching preaching Demons being cast out, the blinds being seen. Luke doesn't go into it here in his gospel, but Matthew certainly does in his. Mark Mark certainly does in his up to this point. There's parallel passes where Jesus goes to his synagogue in his hometown. And Jesus says no small thing when he gets up and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is where the tide seems to turn. Because one of the comments that comes out here that makes it into the record of Scripture in verse 22 is this, the second part. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? In other words, wait a second here. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not, doesn't he have brothers and sisters? The other gospel accounts record in Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 6, wait a second. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? This is the Savior of the people? This guy from Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Wait a second. Jesus seems to have insight into the inclination of their hearts the same way he has insight into the inclination of yours and mine. Because Jesus understood that the purpose of ministry was not popularity. It was and it is repentance. Be very careful that you don't confuse the anointing of God as a license for your own popularity, for your own notoriety. In fact, many people have surrendered to God conditionally with the anticipation that God will then, as a result of that surrender, bring about X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, that now that I'm surrendered to God, the ministry that he put on my heart for so long is now going to come to fulfillment. Well, who said so? I have learned that the scripture that says God will give you the desires of your heart is not that they're my heart's desires and then God's going to function on my terms according to what I expect. That scripture means from the book of Proverbs that God will give me his desires and I will begin to love his desires and then... His desires through me will become my desires there's no space between me and God and then God's agenda Becomes my agenda not my agenda becoming God's agenda. It's backwards True ministry is Living and proclaiming the truth so that people don't make you popular, even though that comes with the territory. But people come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Master. Master, That's what true ministry is all about. True ministry is about living and proclaiming the truth so that other people don't make you more popular. You don't even care about the popularity. But so that people come to repentance. Be careful you don't drink the Kool-Aid. Many people have drank the Kool-Aid. Oh, God, use me. Help me to live for you. Help me to serve you. Do what I want you to do, God. And without realizing it, what creeps in is the hunger, the quest, the thirst to be popular as a result of serving God. God has not promised you popularity if you are empowered by the Spirit, but he has promised you a ministry that calls other people to repentance. And that ministry must begin with you. You must be a person who prioritizes living the truth before and as you are proclaiming the truth. Jesus understands this. He understands that his purpose in life is not to become popular, even though up to this point people are beginning to praise him. His reputation is going around. Jesus realizes he never wavered his his point, and his purpose was to call people to repentance. And seeing their hearts, he says this, verse 23. He said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. In other words, hey, listen, Mr. Nazarene, listen, Jesus of Nazareth, get your own act together. Who in the world do you think you are? Jesus understood their hearts. Surely you quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your own hometown as well. In other words, perform a miracle which he hadn't done. And he said, truly, I say to you, the seriousness of the next words coming out of Jesus' mouth, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Jesus recognizes that he is a prophet. He is sent up from God. He is sent from God. Deuteronomy chapter 18. He is the prophet in line with the one who would be like Moses prophesied about. All the eyes are fixed on Jesus. In the same way. The Sanhedrin had their eyes fixed on Stephen before he was stoned to death. In the same way that in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen looks up and his eyes are fixed on heaven and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father, in the same way that the Apostle Paul fixed his eyes on Elemas, the magician, in Acts chapter 13, and rebuked him. And the Lord moved and made Elymas blind. In the same way, the eyes of the people are fixed on Jesus. And Jesus is saying the right thing at the right time to have the maximum impact. He's either out of his mind or completely in it to take this golden opportunity. And to attribute the passage that's given for the Messiah and the Savior, to attribute that to himself, he's either a lunatic And completely out of his mind, he's either a mass deceiver, maybe both, or maybe he really is Lord and who he says he is. The master communicator, communicating masterfully, waiting for the right time to present himself to his homies, waiting for that perfect time, understanding their inclination of their hearts, that they're not going to be receptive if it has to deal with repentance, honor, honor, Blessing, prestige, power, popularity, deliverance, we all speak the same language. We're all wired the same way. We come to passages of Scripture that deal with God blessing me, we love them. But when we come to passages of Scripture that have to deal with God lovingly bringing something to our attention, lovingly bringing something to our perspective, to our understanding, so that we would change, we fudge, we squirm, we wiggle. But you have to realize... All of the counsel of God is there to get us to get along with the program, the agenda of God to be more like our God in character, not the center of attention. Be careful that you don't confuse what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in thinking that if you follow God, you will only merely have a bigger sphere of influence. God help you. Literally, God help me if we lower our sights to only being concerned about our sphere of influence rather than being the kind of influencer who calls people to repentance. Jesus is recognizing that he's about to be rejected in the most unroyal way you could imagine. Verse 25, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. Verse 25, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. This is a Gentile woman. Jesus is telling them, listen, God is not a respecter of persons. Even in the Old Testament, there were many widows, many widows among God's people, among the Israelites, many of them, but Elijah only went to one, and she was a Gentile. Wait a second! That's why he didn't read that part about the vengeance of God? He's talking about the day of God's favor, the day of God's grace regardless of the people, whether they are Jew or Gentile. This is God casting the large net. He began with the Jewish people. That was his starting point. But the gospel is then going to go forth to the Gentiles and Mass, and Jesus is warning them. He's warning them. It's coming to you now. The Scripture is being fulfilled in your presence, the Jewish people in my hometown, no less. But I want to warn you, don't think that just because you are a Jew just because of your natural heritage, just because of your position, that that's the reason why God's going to bless you. God blessed Gentiles in the past, and he's going to bless them in the future. In fact, Jesus doesn't just give one example, he gives two. Verse 27, There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. How many lepers? Many. None of them was cleansed, but only Naaman The Syrian. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Are you kidding me? Another Gentile? Get out of this synagogue. Who do you think you are coming into our synagogue in your hometown? And you're talking about Gentiles? You're picking a passage about the vengeance of God against his enemies and the enemies of God's people. And you have the absolute audacity to come into our synagogue? It's amazing how we call God's work our own, isn't it? How you come into this synagogue in your hometown and you start talking about God moving in non-Jewish people, who... Do you think you are? Jesus already made it clear. I'm the anointed one. I'm the one sent by God. Powerful. True ministry is living and preaching the truth so that the end result is not popularity, it's repentance. Jesus didn't need the praise from people. Neither do you. Jesus understood very clearly that the praise of people is temporary, but the call and the ministry of God is eternal. And look what the people do here. Verse 28, When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. I mean, they are... Just completely overtaken by what Jesus has said. When they heard these things all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. They're going to kill him. They are so incited by his comment and his application of the scripture, they're going to kill him. But here's the big but. Don't you love Jesus? Verse 30 passing through their midst. He went away. (laughs) Who's in control here? Jesus is in control. Who's he calling? Anybody and everybody, regardless of their heritage, regardless of their background. Just be humble. I find it amazing in this passage of scripture that after Jesus gives these two examples with Elijah and Elisha, with the two Gentiles, and they should have been able to connect the dots, instead of them humbling themselves and saying, well, what does this mean for us, Jesus? And getting into a healthy dialogue, instead of demonstrating humility, which is what God requires in order to pour himself out on a personal basis, corporate basis, instead of demonstrating that, they are incited and they want to take him out and murder him. is that not ironic? That he goes to these people who should have received him, who should have been open to his movement, should have been humble and Receptive for the day of God's salvation, here it is in their very midst. They could have reached out and touched him, and instead, they hate him. Instead, they're incited, and they're angry, and they want to murder him. What if these people instead, if we were reading the reversed standard version... What if we read something like this? When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were cut to the heart at the idea that God might use somebody else rather than them. In fact, they were so cut to the heart that they were concerned about their own jealousy of how God was using other people and began to realize that it was their own issue that they had to deal with, not the issues of others. And everyone in the whole synagogue rose up, wept, mourned, repented, And Jesus was lifted up and exalted as King and Savior and embraced as the Anointed One. Was God asking too much of them to humble themselves, to acknowledge that this day in their hearing this scripture was fulfilled, that they were actually beholding with their eyes and hearing with their ears the words of the Anointed One, the Messiah. Now in your life and mine, It's so important for us to understand and to grasp, to live in the power of the Holy Spirit that we would be concerned and consumed with a lifestyle of repentance that ministry is something we live for the Lord. We are living for the truth, preaching the truth, and our own popularity, our own notoriety means absolutely nothing because our concern. Is that we personally and individually walk with God and that others do too.
0: You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.